flying his flag, said Roger the lookout. Perhaps he didn't think we'd be sailing so soon, said Titty, the able seaman, who was resting a telescope on the cage of her parrot and looking through it at the distant houseboat. He'll hoist his flag all right when he sees us coming, said Susan the mate. John, the eldest of the four of them, said nothing. He was too busy with the sailing, now that Swallow had left the shelter of the bay and had begun to beat down the lake against the southerly wind. He was looking straight forward, feeling the wind on his cheek, enjoying the pull of sheet and tiller and the lap-lap of the water under Swallow's forefoot. Sometimes he glanced up at the little pennant at the masthead, a blue swallow on a white ground, cut out and stitched by Abel Seaman Titty, to be sure that he was making the most of the wind. It takes practice to know from the feel of the wind on your cheekbone exactly what your sail is doing, and this was the first sail of these holidays. Sometimes he glanced astern at the bubbling ribbon of Swallow's wake. At the moment it did not seem to matter whether Captain Flint was flying a flag from the masthead of his houseboat or not. To be on the lake again, and sailing, was enough for John. Mate Susan, too, did not mind that there was no flag on the old houseboat. She had had a tiring time the day before, looking after her mother and Bridget and Nurse and the others, and all the small luggage during the long railway journey from the south. She always took charge on railway journeys, and was always very tired the next day, but nothing had been forgotten, and the number of things that would have been forgotten if Susan hadn't remembered them was very great. And then this morning there had been lists of stores to make out and check, besides the stowage of cargo in Swallow. So Susan was resting and happy, glad that for the moment everything was done that she could do, glad no longer to hear the din of railway stations, and glad, too, not to have to listen to strange voices in that din to make sure that they ought not to be changing trains. Even able seaman Titty was less disturbed than Roger at seeing no flag on the houseboat's stumpy little mast. She had so much else to think about. At one moment she felt that this was still last year, and that they'd never left the lake and gone away. All that long time of lessons and towns was as if it had never been. And then, the next moment, It was just that time that seemed real, and she could not believe that it was the same Titty who had had such awful troubles with her French verbs, who was now once more the able seaman, sitting in swallow with a parrot cage and the knapsacks and the stores, looking back at the peak of Darien from which she had first seen Wildcat Island, and looking down the lake at the island itself, sketches of which, with its tall lighthouse tree, had filled, almost without her knowing how they came there, the two blank pages at the end of her French grammar. This feeling of being two people at once in a jumble of two different times made her a little breathless. But Roger, wedged in his old place in the bows, had been sure that their old friend, Captain Flint, would have had his flag at the masthead, even if he had not dressed ship to welcome them back, and he'd been looking forward to seeing the houseboat's great flag dip and Swallow's little pennant dip in answer, After that, of course, there would be a puff of smoke and a saluting bang from the little yacht cannon on the houseboat's foredeck. And now there was the houseboat without any flag at all. "'He may be asleep,' said Titty. "'He can't be asleep if Nancy and Peggy are with him,' said Susan. "'They've probably gone on to the island. We'll know in a minute or two, said John. "'This next tack'll take us into Houseboat Bay. Ready about?' The little swallow came up into the wind— Titty and the mate ducked as the boom swung over, the brown sail filled again, and the swallow, now on the starboard tack, headed across the lake towards Houseboat Bay.
steamer on the starboard bow,' called the lookout. "'Miles away, though.' "'There's one much nearer coming up astern,' said Captain John. "'Out of Rio.' Looking back, they could see the wooded islands off the busy little port they called Rio, and through the islands glimpses of the broad waters of the northern part of the lake. The steamer was coming out of the Rio Channel between Long Island and the mainland. "'Fisherman broad on the beam,' said the lookout as they passed a rowing boat with two natives in it, one at the oars and the other holding a fishing rod. "'Towing a spinner for pike,' said the captain. "'Shark,' corrected the lookout. The swallow crossed the bows of the steamer that was going south from Rio. She crossed them with plenty of room to spare. The steamer swept past. The captain upon the bridge of the steamer waved a cheerful hand, and the crew of the swallow waved back. They got a tossing in the steamer's wash that made them feel they really were at sea. They were now.